What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Twilight Nine podcast. This is episode 36. I'm your host, Riley. This week, we got uh, a little light slate-ish, if you want to call it that. Uh, we're going to be going over the RBC Heritage. It actually ended up being a pretty decent tournament. Uh, Thursday and Friday were a little bit more entertaining than the weekend just because Sync was going insane. And then over the weekend, obviously, he really didn't have to do much. So he ends up getting the win. That's his third time winning that event. He won it twice before it was called something else, I believe, like the MCI Classic or something like that. So he won that event back in the day because, you know, he I think he's like 47 now. So he won that event a couple times like 20 years ago. And then he hasn't top 10 at that event in a decade, I think. So he wasn't even on my radar, really, when I was looking at guys to win that tournament this week, just because you win a tournament. But I mean, in the last 10 years, you don't come in the top 20. His form was good. He was coming in with a couple, I think, two straight top 20s, one at the Masters, one at the Honda Classic, I think. So he was playing pretty decent golf. But yeah, that one completely underneath my, excuse me, under the radar for me. Didn't see that happening, and he gets it done. Crazy, he was. If on DraftKings, I think he'd be about a hundred bucks. I think you would have won like either like fifteen grand, maybe. Like that was a big money maker for the guys that had Sync this week. But we're gonna be going over pretty much everything. We'll talk about Sync. We'll go over some of the other guys that filled out the top five. Go over our bets. We had a good week betting wise, and then we go to Louisiana. We're down at the Zurich Classic. If you guys are unaware, it is the team event on the PGA tour. So partners, two guys, then they play uh, different formats all four days. It's actually pretty cool. Um, Not normally one of my favorite tournaments on tour, just because the field usually like kind of sucks, but this year it's actually kind of loaded. So this tournament should be pretty damn fun. Uh, I always liked like the team events, like the Ryder cup and president's cup or, Aside from the Masters, the Open, and the U.S. Open is like my favorite week of the year when it comes to the PGA Tour. Obviously, like in my top 10 weeks of the year, I love team golf. So this is always sick. So I can't wait for the Zurich. It's going to be cool, especially with this field. So we'll go over that. But first, headlines, I only got one. Lydia Ko wins on the LPGA Tour. And if you guys don't know, she was like a teenage phenom. She was the youngest player ever to rank number one in the world. She was 17 when she got the world number one ranking. Incredible. This is her first win, and I think in like three years, a couple weeks ago at the ANA Inspiration, I think she shot like 10 under in the final round. She ended up coming in second, and she had been playing some really good golf of late, and a lot of people had her winning this week, and she ended up, she won. I think she won by like six shots or something. And it just kind of, what, three weeks in a row, we had somebody win for the first time in three or four years. It's pretty awesome. Jordan at the Valero, Hideki at the Masters, and then Lydia Ko, one of the biggest names in ladies golf, gets the W after over a thousand days, I'm pretty sure. So it's pretty awesome for her. She just played absolutely lights out on on the last round on Saturday. Like, I don't think an approach shot in two hours went outside, like, 10 feet like she was absolutely dialed in she lapped the field it was really fun to watch I actually ended up watching her over some of the um some of the PJ tour coverage 
because she's a fucking stud and she's sick. So it's really good for the ladies golf that she's back. But that's the only headline I have. So jumping up into RBC a little bit, Stuart Sink obviously wins the event for the third time. And I was right before, before I was looking at my notes, the MCI Classic was it was called back in the day. Had in top 10 or 20 tier in a decade, which is that's why I didn't pick him. I already said that, but holy fuck, you don't top 10 or 20 at a place for 10 years like that shows a little bit of something. And then he just fucking comes out and win. It's crazy. Shot an open round 63. That was incredible golf. I don't know how much you guys caught it during the week. Obviously, it's a little easier to watch golf on Saturday and Sunday. But because I work from home and all that kind of stuff, I just am able to watch golf during the day. And his 63 was incredible. It definitely looked like that's what was going to lead the field going into Friday. And then Cameron Smith comes out and pulls a nine under out of his ass. But Sink obviously right there. And then one of the things that guys talk about on TV all the time is it's really difficult to like back up a really low round. When you go out and shoot 64, 65, the next day out on the course, you usually shoot like 69 or like 70. It's really hard to go back to back. Stuart Sink said, fuck that. He shot another 63 on Friday and he led by five going into weekend. And at that point, when somebody's that dialed in and already up by five shots, all you really have to do is go out and shoot a decent round and you're probably going to be in a really good spot come Sunday to win the golf tournament. And that's what happened. He went out, played very solid on Saturday, Saturday, shot two under 69 and he, it was his golf tournament to lose at that point on Sunday when he teed off, if it was going to be his fault, if he lost that golf tournament and he was paired with Colin Morikawa in the final round. And a picture started going around on Twitter, which I thought was fantastic. I don't know if you guys saw it, but I think it was, I forget the exact reason why it was posted. Like the first time Stuart Sink won that golf tournament, Colin was like born. So the final group was like a 47 year old and this kid that was literally like one year old. The first time Stuart Sink won that golf tournament, it was fucking sick. And then... In the round, he shot 70, was good enough. He ended up winning by four. No one really kind of – everybody that played really well on Sunday, like in the ba- in the top of the pack, came from like the middle. So there was not a guy up there that was already close to sink, like Colin, that shot a good score. So you win by four, That's a you beat the fuck out of the field. It's pretty awesome. And what makes it better is he's got his son on the bag, which I always think is super sick when you have the family on the bag. Lee Westwood has his wife slash fiance. I don't know if they're actually married. Um, and some other guys have like experimented with having family on the bag, and sometimes it doesn't work out. Sometimes it does. I know Faldo was talking about on the TV coverage that he had his son caddy for him a few times, and I think he said that he missed the cut at every single event that his son caddied at, so sometimes it doesn't work. But for them, it works a lot. They talk about a lot of stuff. For a guy that has won at that golf course a couple times, plays it borderline every single season, and knows it like the back of his hand, He's talking with his son about almost every single shot that they have throughout a round. They talk about wind, line, carry yardage, where do you want this roll out to, right side of the green, left side of the green. Like These guys talk about everything, and it's really impressive. Obviously, the kid's probably a stick himself, but to be able, like for Stewart to actually sit there and listen to his son talk about his opinion about something, even though he's played this golf course so many times and have won it a couple times, it's pretty apparent like how much Stewart actually trusts his kid on the bag and they've won twice together already he was also on the bag when he won the Safeway earlier this season like the first I think that's the very first tournament of the new uh new season every year 
He's already won twice on tour. Pretty crazy. I saw the only people to win twice so far this season, 47-year-old Stuart Sink and 27-year-old Bryson DeChambeau. Like, this game is so fucking cool. When guys like that, almost a 50-year-old man, can go out. Of course, it's like a little bit shorter of a um, golf course, so brings everybody back a little bit, right? Fairways and greens are more important instead of bombing at 330 yards, so it brings everybody else kind of into the field. But still... 47 fucking years old. He's three years away from playing the Champions Tour, and he goes out and wins the RBC Heritage, which normally field not that great. But this week, I mean, DJ Cameron Smith, Matty Fitzpatrick, um, Cantlay, who ended up missing the cut, uh, Will Zalatoris, who ran out of gas. We're going to talk about him in a second when we go over the bets. But the field was pretty damn good, and he beat all of them very handily. Like I said at the beginning of the show, he was coming into good form. This was just a miss by my part. Back-to-back top 20s at the Honda and the uh, Honda Classic and the Masters, so I was right about that. He was first, strokes gained tee to green, and that'll do. That'll do very much. If you're, especially at that golf course, if you lead the field in that stat, you can only you only have to have like an okay putting week just because the greens are so small that if you hit the greens, the putts really aren't that long. So you're going to have a lot of good birdie looks. So if you lead the field in strokes gain tee to green, you are going to have a damn good week. I think the top five guys in strokes gain tee to green also were like in the top 10 of the leaderboard. That's just how it works at that golf course. So he was absolutely money. It was awesome to watch him play through i mean he didn't putt that well he's got the fucking yips when it comes to that those short putts he like pump fakes those bitches it's crazy to watch like it's very uncomfortable to watch you're nervous for him every time he gets over a putt it's the same thing that i get when um like rory when he has a short putt like i get nervous for him but i almost get like that with spieth right because he went out like he like looks at the hole sometimes he doesn't look at the hole sometimes and then he gets like caught in between and you don't know what to think i get really nervous when jordan spieth has like a four foot putt Stuart sink sits there until he feels absolutely 100 percent comfortable and he fucking pump fake that shit he sits there for 20 seconds waiting to take the club back it's very awkward and very uncomfortable to watch but i mean he ends up getting it done so Stuart sink second win of the year pretty crazy and then Harold Vonner the third kind of came out of nowhere, had a fantastic weekend, shooting five under on Sunday, finished in a tie for second with Griot, who is another guy that that's a little bit of a miss on my part. I like to go to, to Griot on a shorter golf course where irons are kind of what you need to do very well. So that's a 100% miss on my part. But Varner coming best finish on the PGA Tour, I think in his career solo or tied for second. Pretty damn good. And then the kid, Maverick McNeely. The kid crushes the golf ball. He can putt the lights out. His short game is pretty good. I think the first five holes on su- on Sunday, he made birdie on four of them. Like this, this kid was a fucking problem on the greens. And if you remember earlier this season, when who was it? I think it was who ended up winning that golf tournament. Daniel Berger, I think, won the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro Am. Maverick made almost he almost made eagle on the last hole to force a playoff so he was right there he's already had a good finish he's had a pretty damn good season and this just another another good finish for him tied for fourth pretty awesome and then con Morikawa, who was in the final group with sink he struggled in the final round shot plus plus 172 he was one of the guys that i thought about including in the betting card last week just because of his iron play he was always going to be in contention at that golf course it's almost tailor-made for him just like will zalatoris he's such a good iron player he hits a lot of fairways but the problem with colin is he gives himself a lot of look at birdie but he's he is a such a bad putter that when he doesn't have it on the greens that week he's just like 
I don't want to say not going to contend because, I mean, he was in the final group. But Sunday shows, like, you need to be able to putt well on a consistent basis or you're not going to be able to win on the PGA Tour. And that's kind of what happens with Colin. Like, when he gets cold with the putter, he gets ice cold. So luckily for him, his iron play is good enough that he hits a lot of greens of regulation. So when he misses putts, he just makes par. But at a low-scoring event when you need to make a lot of birdies, that's just not going to get it done. The golf course, though, was every single year they go back to Harbortown. I respect it a little bit more. A couple years ago, I forget who won the golf tournament a couple years ago, but I remember watching it and not really liking it because the field was like pretty loaded and it kind of takes the big guys out of it because they can't bomb it all over the place and it kind of kind of becomes like target golf. You watch, If you watch around at Harbortown, you know what I mean. Like every tee shot is like a little cut and you they hit it with a three wood and they hit the fairway. And then you have to hit these like tiny greens and everything's just all about accuracy. And it's pretty awesome now as being like a golf professional. I understand how fucking hard that is. But, you know, three, four years ago, I hated this golf course. But the more I watch it, I think the more like I respect it. Like it, it's such an old school golf course that you have to play it the way that it was designed. Like you can't overpower it or you're going to bring trees into play. You're going to go out of bounds because everything out – you go into the trees, but then there's like out of bounds because there's like houses and shit. So you have to be accurate. So there's no real way to like bully that golf course. And it's such old school. The trees frame every single hole beautifully. Then you get to 16 where you're finally exposed for the last couple holes to the water, to the wind when it picks up really bad. And I think it picked up on Thursday actually. And that's why everybody was surprised that Cameron Smith went so low because the wind was so difficult. On 16, 17, and 18, you can get killed by the wind. And like I said, the more I watch that golf course, the more I love it. The greens are sick. It's a lot of shave down spots around the greens. It's pretty easy to get up and down. I think I heard on TV coverage like the uh, up and down percentage at Harbor Town is like the highest of any golf course on tour just because when you miss greens due to their size, you're not that far away from the hole. So the shots aren't that difficult. Obviously, if you miss in the wrong spots, you're fucked. But it's not too bad, but the greens being so small, it just like when somebody hits a bunch of greens, like I think Colin on Friday or Saturday hit like almost every single green in his round. And that's so impressive due to their size. So that golf course, every time I watch it, I love it more and more. Great spot. Obviously Hilton head is fucking gorgeous where it's all the rich people go to vacay. It's awesome. Hopefully I can get down there. I've never played Harbor town. I've never really, I don't even know if I've ever played golf in the Carolinas, maybe like one or two courses, but that's one of the ones that it's public. It's like one of the most played golf courses, I think, in like America. So that'll be really fun to play. It kind of fits my game. Speaking of my game, I actually just got home from the range, but the target golf kind of fits my game a little bit. I can struggle off the tee with driver, uh, but a three wood in my hand off the tee, a little like 265 to 280 off the tee, and then you hit a bunch of irons into different spots of the greens. That kind of fits my game. So I think I could actually end up playing pretty well at Harbor Town. But um, let's talk about the bets before we get into the Zurich uh, preview and all the betting shit. Uh, we had Wills Altors for a top 10. That didn't hit. Uh, going into the weekend, he actually looked pretty good. He was seven under. Obviously, that put him what is that nine back so he would have had to have a huge weekend to kind of get back into the mix Saturday he had a really rough front nine and he ended up getting it back to even par but again seven under you're going back you're back what 11 going into Sunday so that was never going to happen I had him to win uh that was never going to happen but maybe a really low round on Sunday he sneaks us a top t- a little backdoor top 10 finish that didn't happen I think he ended up shooting like plus two or something like that so we didn't hit that one 
The other one we missed was Siwoo Kim. He was really far down the leaderboard on Thursday. And then Friday afternoon when I went to check how all our guys were doing, going into the weekend, he just like had a huge Friday and he was just like kind of in the mix and then kind of struggled over the weekend. So missed that one too, but we did hit answer finally. I think he was like T18. He gave us a little bit of a scare, but finally got something on answer to hit for plus 140. Then we had Fitzpatrick top 20. It did not look good on Thursday. If you guys caught the round at all on Thursday, Fitzpatrick looked like he did not want to be on that golf course. I've never seen a professional golfer have such like bad body language. He actually did not look like he enjoyed playing golf and he just wanted to get on a plane and go home. It was very odd. And then he played great the rest of the week and finished, I think, like T4. So that was a really easy hit. And then Corey Connors, that was the easiest hit of all time. He was right in the mix pretty much the entire time, struggled on Saturday, and then had a pretty good round on Sunday. And I think he was also T4 or like T7. They were somewhere in there. Definitely a top 10, but we only needed him for a top 20. So both of those hit. I think Corey Connors was plus 150 for a top 20, and then Fitzy was plus 125. So we were plus 215 on the week, which we will take that, especially after the Masters fiasco betting with our fucking heart instead of our head. I don't think we hit a single bet. So to get a nice little win this week, that was that was good. So let's see if we can keep it going. This tournament is a shit show to bet. I don't know how DraftKings or anybody else is going to set it up. I might have to look at a couple of books this week just because right now, as I'm looking at it, in front of my face at the moment, DraftKings only has winner picks. Like they don't have top five picks, top 10 picks. They have matchups for the first round and they have a couple tournament props. But besides that, like they don't really have anything. So we'll have to see if top five or top tens come out later in the week. I know for the last couple weeks, DraftKings hasn't had top 30s and top 40s because I like to attack those, especially guys coming in that are a little undervalued that are playing good golf. I love to attack those. But the last couple of weeks, DraftKings hasn't had those. So I don't know if that's something they're changing. Like they're not going to offer those anymore. That would be bullshit. I think that's some of the best betting you can do in golf. But hopefully fucking DraftKings figures out and offers, offers us a little something for the Zurich because just betting winners is no fun. But let's get into it. This week, always intriguing. One of the very few team events on the schedule all year long. It's this uh, and then the Ryder Cup if it happens. This year, it's the Ryder Cup. Next year, whatever. Usually, like I said at the show, I'm not a huge fan of this tournament in most years just because the field is usually garbage. But this but this week, it's I, w- I don't want to say loaded because it's definitely not loaded, but a lot of guys playing good golf that are paired with other guys playing good golf. Go over the field, defending champions John Rahm, Ryan Palmer, back to defend their title. The last time this event was played was 2019 because of COVID in 2020. Rahm is coming off a solid week at the Masters while Palmer has two top 20s in his last three starts. So the defending champions are playing some very good golf. And you don't know. You know, John Rahm, new dad, has a new perspective. That's what the guys on TV always like to say. So who knows? They might win again. I don't know if you can win again, if they're going to win again. I'm not going to bet on them to win again, but they are the defending champions and they are back in the field. The highest ranked pair is Xander Shoffley and Patrick Cantley. Xander's coming off a top five at the Masters before that was very much struggling. And then quietly, Patrick Cantlay has missed three straight cuts. Players, Masters, and he was at the RBC Heritage. He missed the cut. So he is not playing very good golf right now. I'm not going to bet on them. Obviously, when you see those two names together, you think, oh, how do they not win this event? Well, Patrick Cantlay forgot how to play golf over the last month, and Xander had his first good start at the Masters 
um, of the last like month. Like obviously he's played well at the Masters before. He's runner up to Tiger Woods in 2019, but the Masters was his first good start in like a month. So they're not playing great golf. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. Other pairs include Conmore and Kawa, Matty Wolf. Talk about a guy that has completely forgotten how to play golf. Matty Wolf is you almost like feel bad for what Wolf is going through right now. That dude is actually very much struggling. It's sad to watch because watching him play really good golf is very entertaining and he sucks right now. Again, that's a very big marquee name pair that probably won't win. Tony Finau and Cameron Champ, boys are going to fucking bomb it all around TBC Louisiana. It's going to be incredible to watch. Scotty Scheffler and Bubba Watson, two very unique swings, which I think is really cool. That's kind of why I noted it. And then talk about unique swings. Holy shit. Scotty Scheffler puts the most body English on a golf ball that I've ever seen in my entire life. Like sometimes, you know, like when he hits a JT, will give a little like shoulder nudge, like get over there. Scotty Scheffler does like a whole, he does like the wave with his fucking body. It's incredible. Like, oh my God, I don't even, I don't even know how to describe it. And then uh, Jay Rose and Henrik Stenson are also paired together. The course, TPC Louisiana, par 72, 70, a little over 7,400 yards, Bermuda greens and a Pete Dye design. Format for rounds one and three. So Thursday and Saturday, it's four ball. Each player will play their own ball throughout the entire hole. The lowest score from the pair on each hole is counted. So Tim makes a four. Doug makes a five. On their scorecard, they write down a four. Tim made the best score. Pretty self-explanatory. And then rounds two and four are alternate shot. And it's not... Uh, modified alternate shot where both guys hit a tee shot and they choose the best one. It's actually before the round starts, they pick who's going to hit the tee shots on odd holes and who's going to hit the tee shot on even holes. And then you play alternate shot until you get into the hole. So that those rounds are a lot more difficult for sure. Rounds one and three, you can make a fuck ton of birdies just because both guys are playing their own ball and if one of them makes a birdie that's what's going to count so you can go really really deep like there's in the 50s every single year at this tournament it's crazy and then rounds two and four are when you got to make up some hay and that's why i usually like to target guys that kind of play the same kind of golf just because they'll know how to get around playing each other's ball i like rounds three and uh two and four better because i think it's a little more entertaining alternate shot is so hard because you're going like 25 minutes in between each shot that you hit and it's like tough to keep rhythm like that. So I think that's kind of where it separates. Weather is going to be windy down there, which we are going to take into account once we get into the betting stuff. I wish DraftKings had fucking top 10s and up right now because it's so hard just to pick winners. Hopefully that comes out by Wednesday when all the betting shit comes out. Weather Thursday is going to be sunny. Really nice, actually. 70 degrees, 13 mile an hour winds. Friday, 75 degrees, scattered thunderstorms, 49% chance of rain and 16 miles an hour. So it's going to pick up. So is Saturday. Saturday, 83 scattered thunderstorms, 43% chance to rain, and 15-mile-an-hour winds. And then Sunday, it calms down just a little bit, 78 degrees, sunny, really, really nice, 6% chance of rain, 10-mile-an-hour winds. So it's going to be windy all day. And it's a it helps them a little bit just because Thursday and Saturday are two of the more windy days, but that's best ball. So you can still make birdie, but when it's alternate shot and you get Friday and Saturday, Friday it's going to storm be 16, and then Sunday's really nice, but the wind's still up. That's difficult condition. So the guys are going to have to play some golf. And then when it comes to all the data golf information and stuff, the only thing that I really found was um, what causes the variance, as I've added in the last couple of weeks, because um, because it's a team event, 
data golf doesn't really have like a lot of information on like stroke gains and stuff because you can't really, cause it's like two guys and like they're playing best ball. So it's, it's, it's tough, but what causes variance compared to the tour average, it is the most fucking basic, boring thing. Like exactly what the tour average is like putting strokes game, putting tour average is 35.7% variance on this course. It's like 36 and a half. Iron play, 34.7 on tour average, 36.4% at this golf course. So it's very, it's a TPC golf course is what I'm trying to say. So it's going to be tough. going to be a little better. Obviously, with 7,400 yards, a guy that can hit it a long way, like the winners of last year or two years ago, John Rahm and Ryan Palmer. You don't think of Ryan Palmer as a long hitter, but the dude fucking pokes it. And then John Rahm obviously can launch it. So that will play into it. But then you got guys that just are really consistent. Those are the guys that I love in team play. It's the guys that just hit fairways, hit greens, and can roll it. Think Kevin Kisner, who is notorious for match play, yes, but also team events. Like if you guys don't remember him and Phil Mickelson fucking fist pumping and fucking shaking and shit at the President's Cup a couple years ago, I think that was at Liberty. Like Kevin Kisner brings it when it's like team golf, so he thrives in this kind of shit. Betting odds, we can go over it real quick. Now that DraftKings has released it, Ryan Palmer or John Rahm and Ryan Palmer are the favorites at plus 700. Shafle and Cantlay are also at plus 700. Cameron Smith and Mark Leishman, which that is the team that I'm going to talk about in a second that really stands out when I look at those names is plus 900. Bubba Watson, Scotty Scheffler plus 14. Morikawa and Wolf are also at 14. I don't think they should be that high. I know Collins playing decent golf right now. Maddie's hitting it all over the planet. So I don't, when it gets to alternate shot, I don't know how that's going to go. Tony Finau and Cameron Champ are also at 1400. Uh, Kirk and Todd are at plus 2000. Horschel and Burns are at 2200, which that's another really good, uh, team. Billy is obviously playing some pretty high level golf right now. And Sam Burns just had a pretty high finish at the Genesis when he was leading on Sunday. So that's going to be a team to watch. If you go down, you got, um, Sung J M and Ben on at plus 4,000, Charlie Hoffman and Watney at plus 5,000. And then you get down to Brown and Kevin Kisner at plus 5,000. We're going to talk about that, those guys in a second. So let's get into some of the teams as of right now. I only got four teams on the board right now that I'm going to talk about real quick. And then obviously once we wrap up the show, everything betting wise will be posted on Wednesday, just like it always is. Uh, hopefully DraftKings fucking add some shit, but let's go over a couple teams. So like I said a second ago, the pairing that really stood out to me when I was going over the odds is the Aussie pair, Cameron Smith and Mark Leishman. Smith has three top 10s in his last five starts, and the other two finishes are top 20s. He's playing crazy good golf right now. And I watched him that Thursday at uh, Harbortown. He is locked in. His short game is fantastic. He's a great putter. He's money off the tee, plays a little draw with his irons. He looks really fucking good right now. Lee struggled for a bit. Miss, he missed the cut at the Arnold Palmer Invitational, which is really rare for him. He loves that golf tournament. Missed the cut at the players, but then turns it around at Augusta National a couple weeks later in top fives. So he's in decent form. We'll see what happens. Cameron Smith has won this event back in 2017. The very first year it turned to a team event, he won it. Not the same partner. I can't remember the guy's name, but the Aussies, that is going to be a team to watch for sure. The next guy, Kevin Kisner, Scotty Brown. Like I said, Kevin Kisner loves, 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 loves team event, pair event, whatever you want to call it. This is where he thrives. And these dudes are such a good pair. 
2019, they tied for fifth. 2018, they tied for 15th. In 2017, they were solo second after losing in a playoff. So these guys love this fucking golf course and love this event. They play all the time. They live right next to each other in Aiken, South Carolina at Palmetto Golf Club, which I think that has a lot to do. They play each other with each other all the time. They understand each other's game. They know how each other's like to shape the ball off the tee with the irons, where they want to be greenside. Like they just know and they play very similar, right? They just hit a bunch of fairways. They hit a bunch of greens and they can both putt really, really well. Distance wise, their clubs are right around the same. So that helps a lot. It's just like one player. And I think that's why they usually play so well at these tournaments is because they just match up, they know each other's game, and they always succeed. So they're always at this event going to find their way on my betting card, probably with the top 10 if DraftKings ever fucking releases that shit. So we'll see what happens. Uh, The third team that we're going to look at is Max Homa and Taylor Gooch. Obviously had to go with our guy. He's back in the field this week at the Zurich. And the two boys are playing some golf. Max has missed a couple cuts in a row, but I'll probably let that slide because it's Sawgrass and Augusta National. Sorry, I had to take a sip of my Sammy Adams. So fucking good. I don't remember actually what this one's called. It's the new IPA. It's like their summer one. I don't know. It's really good if you guys haven't had it. But he missed two cuts in a row. Got to give him a pass. That happens. You miss cuts at Sawgrass. You can miss cuts at Augusta. But his first or his last four starts before the players, before missing the cut, the players, his starts T10, T22, a win at the Genesis and a T7. So he's playing really good golf and he didn't make it into the sweet 16 of the match play, but he played well enough. He was very fucking mad that he didn't get into the group play because his game is just in such a solid position right now. Gooch on the other hand has three top five finishes this season on tour. The most recent being the players. So he's shown really good signs very recently. He's a guy that'll pop up and do like a random top five and then kind of return to the mean and, you know, T30s, T40, shit like that. But who knows? He's inside the top 30 when it comes to scoring average on tour, which is obviously huge when it gets to Thursday and Saturday when it's four ball. You need to make a lot of birdies because everybody's going to go really, really, really fucking low. So being inside the top 30 scoring average for Gooch, that helps a lot. Obviously, we've seen Max make a lot of birdies at difficult golf courses. So we'll see if they can kind of turn it on. That's going to probably be like a top 10 team for me. So like, again, hopefully fucking DraftKings figures it out. And then to end it real quick, the the team that I'm looking at for kind of like a sneaky good team to maybe crack into the top 10 or top five kind of out of nowhere is actually Harold Varner III and Brandon Grace. HV3 is coming off his best finish on tour, a second at Harbortown. And then Brandon Grace, since he missed the cut at the Sony to start 2021, excuse me, he's made seven starts. He's made every single cut but one, has four top 30 finishes, and one down in Puerto Rico. I think that what that's the off-site event, the week of concession, I think. But he won that golf tournament. And he's playing good. He made the cut at the RBC Heritage. I think he was like T43 or some shit like that. Those two boys are playing some golf right now. Those are the sign of, kind of the same way. They're not super long. They're going to hit a lot of fairways. 
pretty good iron players. Brandon Grace has been money off the tee. If you guys watched him play at all at RBC Heritage or Harbortown, he was hitting every driver like 50 feet in the air. It was very impressive. Everything's running out a lot. If he can bring that, Harold Varner's a good iron player. They're going to have to kind of pick it up with the putter. But I think they could be like a sneaky good team. I think so. We'll see what everybody else thinks once everybody comes out. But I think they could I think they could be like a sneaky good team. If I bring up the um the pairings real quick, I'm just trying to go down the list and see if I see any other guys that kind of like stand out down the list a little bit. Um Jason Kokrak and Pat Perez, they're like really good buddies. They hang out all the time. Uh, Kokrak has flashed some seriously good golf. I mean, he won the, what was that? The Zozo, but that was last season. But recently in the last month or two, he's flashed some good golf. Pat Perez is like one of the more consistent players on tour. So that would be a good team that plus 6,600, that would be another team. Like if they ever get top tens available for this week, I would, I would put them in there just because they're best buddies. They're get along really good. They know each other's game. Just very, very consistent players. Once you get past that, once you get into like the really long shots, I don't love any of these teams. Um, I'm going to be honest. I don't recognize some of these names. That's what's happening right now. But I would stay away from like a really big long shot. I would stay anything within like plus 7,000 and up probably or down depending on how you look at it. Keegan Bradley and Brandon Steele could be another good one. I'm going to look that up real quick before I let you guys go. Keegan Bradley, let's look up some finishes. I know his name is like peaked on leaderboards recently. I don't know what his like all his strokes game number is. Yeah, he had a top ten at the Arnold Palmer. I think that's the last time I remember seeing his name. He's been playing like pretty good. He had a top ten at the Arnold Palmer, a top thirty at the Players, a top thirty at the Hunter Classic, a top thirty at the Valero Texas Open. So he's been very, very consistent. And then what the fuck? Who is he with? Brandon Steele. We actually won some money on Steele recently. We had him what top ten at the Honda, and he finished like he almost won the fucking thing. So that also could be like a sneaky good team that not a lot of people are looking at. They'll probably end up in my top 10. I didn't know I didn't know Keegan was playing that consistently well. Yeah, so he had a top three at the Honda. This is Steele. Top three at the Honda. Top uh, T4 at the Sony. A top 20 at the Arnold Palmer. So he's played good golf recently. Um, hasn't played a lot though. Like Honda, his last start was the Valero Texas Open. He made the cut but played like shit. But beside, before that, like I said, T3 at the Honda, T41 at the Players, T18 at the Arnold Palmer, T43 at the Genesis, T34 at the, uh, AT&T, top 30 at the Waste Management. So he's been making a bunch of cuts, which that's what we like to see. So those two guys have been playing very, very consistent golf for the last three months. So that is going to be probably one of my sleeper teams when these top 10 odds come out. But guys, that's it. It was always going to be a little bit shorter of a show with... Uh, not a bunch of uh, big golf tournaments. Hopefully, I mean, the PGA is not too far away. We're going to South Carolina, Kiowa for the PGA here in a couple weeks, like in a month, I think, is the PGA, hopefully. Well, it is, but hopefully these tournaments end up being fucking entertaining because it's always kind of rough when you have this kind of shit. But I do want to say that the instructional stuff is happening now. So I was waiting on a clothing sponsor, Random Golf Club, if you guys know, I write for them or whatever. They're, they're going to be, uh, all their gear is going to be in those videos. But I was waiting on that. Just ordered a mic pack and shit for the instructional stuff. So I'm filming that 
this weekend. So I think next Friday will be the official first video of the instructional series. So if you guys have a certain topic that you guys want me to cover, just send it to me on Instagram. I'll get to, obviously it's going to be a weekly thing. So I'll get to everything. But if you have like a specific thing, I'm going to be doing them on like TikTok short versions and shit too. But that's actually officially happening this week to be released next week. So be on the lookout for that. But follow the socials, Instagram at Riley Hamill underscore is my personal at Twilight Nine Pod is the Instagram for the show. Make sure to pay attention to the Twitter. That's where all the articles get released. Uh, follow us on TikTok if you guys have TikTok. I just, you know, update everybody, kind of put like a pick and shit and stuff like that. Some instructional content will be going over that. But yeah, follow the socials, share the show around, uh, enjoy the team event. It's probably going to be pretty cool. The field looks pretty damn good. So I'm going to be watching that this weekend. But enjoy the golf this weekend, and I will talk to you guys next week. Peace.